This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, Truman Jones is on News Radio WGNS. Good morning, Rutherford County. Uh, of course, it's the Greg Tucker Show. I'm just sitting here, but I, I, I went to Greg. I went to see a movie last night. It's called Unhinged. It's about road rage. And you know, as I was driving to work this morning, I had a couple of people that really weren't paying much attention to the road or anything like that. And you you know what I did? I did not blow the horn at all. (laughs) (laughs) Good. See, sometimes good things come from those movies. Yeah, yeah. But that's one of the roughest (laughs) movies I've seen in a long time. And it all, you know, you don't know what's in a person's mind when they're driving next to you in other places. And they may be having a real bad day, and, and they may be the, the one of these jerks that's just going to try you no matter work, uh, what's going on. So uh, if you want to go see a strange movie, and, and it'll really get to you, and it'll really help you driving a lot, go over to Premier 6 and, and uh, take a gander at it. Now, what have you been doing? Oh, that's late summer planting, uh, tending, you know, with all this rain, uh, it's, it's impossible to stay ahead of the grass and the trees and the bushes. They all look pretty, yeah. but we're disappearing. So we spent a lot of time both in town and out on the farm the last couple of days just trying to keep up. You're always in a state of change, though, out there at the farm. Uh, it, 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 you know, sometimes you get look tired of looking at something after two or three days and you go out there and you start planting other things it's, that's, that's kind of neat it seems like two or three days sometimes yeah, yeah. I mean, dig it up move it over here <laughs> but i enjoy uh i enjoy working outdoors but i particularly enjoy pleasing the wife i guess you'd call it that's your number one uh I, I, I don't know what the, the right word, but uh, uh, if, if you want to make somebody happy, she's the one, <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, and the alternative is not appealing. Yeah. You know, we had a nice conversation with J.D. this morning, and uh, I, uh, he was a, actually a, a pilot back during the Vietnam era. And he's one of the more interesting people because he had an, has an extreme knowledge, a deep knowledge of about air traffic and everything like, uh, like that. And he, he has a way of explaining history to you. And one of these days we're going to have to have him on the show because I, I can see you guys became close friends in a, in a 
a quick way. Well, he has done what I encourage all the veterans, particularly the World War II veterans, because mm -hmm. we're losing them so rapidly. In fact, yeah. I have something with me this morning. Uh, a lot of them don't want the publicity, but they still need to leave a record. Yeah. And uh, I wish I had sat down with my father more extensively, uh, because even though we did document and gather a lot of information and stories. Uh, there's a lot that we didn't get to. But uh, those families that, uh, well, uh, one of the things I've said many times before that I enjoy about being the county historian is people bring me stuff and mm -hmm. volunteer information. And, uh, or sometimes I learn about it and have to chase it down. Uh, that the latter in this particular case but uh, Tom Bannon was a World War II veteran. Well, we lost Tom some years back, but before he, before he passed on, a couple of his uh, younger family members made him sit down and just tell his stories. Yeah. And uh, they recorded it. And uh, later, uh, while he was still with us, they went through and transcribed it all. Mm -hmm. or at least uh, a lot of it. And uh, one Christmas, uh, they made copies and uh, bound them up and made a Christmas present to all the uh, descendants, mm -hmm. children, grandchildren, <coughs> uh, of a book about his experiences in the war. And this, to me, is a real treasure. Uh, of course, it would be a, a special treasure to the family. But... Uh, the historians, uh, the politicians, the winning side, uh, you know, they write their history. But if you really want to understand what was going on and how people were reacting to it and dealing with it, you need these individual stories. Mm -hmm. And some of it is, is humorous, entertaining, because that's what we, we enjoy remembering. Yeah. I mean, the war was, I'm sure, a bad experience for virtually everybody who was drawn up in it. But everybody has things they remember, which they remember fondly. And uh, I was chasing a story a couple of months ago, well, maybe almost a year ago, <clears throat> and I mentioned it to Pettus Reed. And he said, that may be something that uh, Tom Bannon wrote about or remembered. Mm -hmm. So I got after uh, Pettus to help me find a copy of the family. Uh, history that had been prepared and it it took a while but eventually uh, Pettus ran down a copy and, and gave it to me and I've just started reading it uh, and uh, I've written a, I encourage anybody who's interested in history to be a member of the uh, Historic Society but we do put out every other month a uh, newsletter when I try to write something in the newsletter and I've written about uh, Tom's experience uh, for this next edition of the newsletter. Just a couple of anecdotes, uh, but I was particularly interested in the fact that he was in, if not the first group, one of the very first groups to enter Berlin, mm. Americans. Of course, the Russians were already there, but his recollection of the first confrontation with the Russians uh, there. And uh, he was, uh, his ultimate commanding officer was George Patton. So he has uh, some personal re recollections of 
being under the old man, as they called it. And very interesting. But they're also little uh, vignettes of kind of personal experience. And uh, I've got the volume with me this morning. And just to give you a, a sampling of the type things you find that are almost lost in history and memory, like the fact that uh, when the uh, Americans go into France, you don't expect the uh, American soldier to have some French money in his pocket. But at the same time, other than being totally dependent on the K-rations or whatever it might be, there are opportunities when they'd like to spend some money, and apparently the the military command recognized that. Mm -hmm. So uh, at a given time, uh, they would offer an exchange, uh, or sometimes actually offer what we call military script. But Tom's story was they announced that uh, they would be selling French currency, mm -hmm. francs. And they said that the initial sale would be uh, 75 French francs for one dollar. And uh, apparently... Is that a good deal? Or was it? Uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, it was for Tom. Yeah. Because Tom uh, also learned that uh, after a period of time, they'd be selling the francs uh, more expensive, only 50 for a dollar. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the American dollar was going up in value. So Tom had, uh, well, it says, uh, they announced that uh, the francs are going to be on sale next week. I'm reading from it, Tom's recollections. And they announced that now you can buy 75 French francs for a dollar. Next week, they are going to 50 francs for a dollar. In other words, better buy it now if you want to yeah. get it. So uh, you can turn in your money and get, and he had about $200. He said he had scrimped together and had in his uh, in his pocket. So I turned in $200 and got my 75 per. But the next week, instead of spending it, I waited until the value went up of the dollar. Mm -hmm. And I went back with my francs and exchanged them for dollars. <laughs> And anyway, he's back and forth uh, trading currency rather than spending it on luxuries or what have you. And he said, in a week, I had turned my 200 into 300, and I packed up the difference and mailed it home. Uh, interesting that... Uh, Wait a minute. He was going downtown, I presume, and with all his buddies and going in and, and enjoying some of that French uh, food. That I hear it's delicious. So, look what all he missed out on. Yeah, he missed out on, but uh, that's the point. He decided to trade currency and build up a little capital. And then what did he do with it? He sent it home. He doesn't sound like the normal GI to me. <laughs> uh, normal GI, it's hard to be normal in a, in a, in a war situation. Now, yeah. Uh, also, and I remember my father talking about Tokyo Rose. Yes. You know who Tokyo Rose yes. was. Well, I found a reference in here. The greatest it's, entertainer ever. <laughs> uh, the, the purpose of Tokyo Rose or, and I just discovered, Berlin Betty, 
was to work on the morale of the American soldiers. I don't remember Berlin Betty. I hadn't come across that either, but Tom says, you know old Berlin Betty was an old girl in Berlin, and she was always talking over the radio trying to break the American morale. Mm -hmm. She said one night, you boys that are camped there in Palermo, Sicily, which is where he happened to be, mm -hmm. are going to Scotland, but you won't ever get there. You'll get sunk. You know, he said, we had no idea. In fact, our commanding officers didn't know where we were going next. Yeah. We had taken Sicily and then spent some time there solidifying the control of Sicily and Palermo. And the only information we had about where we were going was from Berlin Betty, the uh, voice of the, of the enemy. Mm -hmm. And she told us we were going to Scotland. We, of course, didn't believe that. But they loaded us aboard ships. We didn't know where we were going. The Navy didn't know where we were going. We went out through the Straits of Gibraltar and circled in the North Atlantic. We were out there 20-something days, and then they told us, we're going to Scotland. In other words, Berlin and Betty knew months before they did what their eventual orders would be. Uh, Tokyo hard. Rose was the same way. Yeah. In fact, Tokyo Rose could actually at times call names. She would say so-and-so in uh, such-and-such a squadron or something. Did you know your wife is out tonight with so-and-so? Yeah. You know, they would get enough personal information to uh, uh, give the American soldier pause. You know, wait a minute. How do they know that? How could that be? And uh, that's what Berlin Betty was doing. She was showing them that uh, we know more about you than you do, and uh, uh, then threatening to sink the ships, the transport ships. Yeah, how in the world could they get classified information like that? They they had to have somebody on the inside that was yeah. well, that was trusted. Yeah, and she would let out just enough information to worry you, mm -hmm. but not give away the sources and all. So, you know, if there's a family that they're fortunate enough to still have a World War II veteran, sit down and talk to them. Let's record everything we can. And uh, uh, certainly we'll learn something. If nothing else, we'll learn about a generation that uh, made sacrifices that we can't even imagine now. Uh, but also, uh, it's entertaining. Yeah, and, and if you're a veteran and uh, you have children and grandchildren, make sure that, that you sit down and have a conversation with them. Because I can remember when my great-grandmother, uh, uh, Mama McFarland, I would sit at her feet and she would tell me stories about what was going on in, in the War of Yankee Invasion. And it was so interesting. I wish I had written down a lot of the things that she told me because I don't have anything other than my memory to rely on. And when you've got that, sometimes I don't share it with my kids and my grandkids like I should. And uh, if you're a veteran, you can put something down that each generation of your bloodline will be able to hear exactly what was right. going on uh, firsthand 
from the veteran itself. Right. When we have that, uh, what we call primary source, the original source, yeah. the one who actually experienced it, then it can be passed down with some credibility. Yeah. Uh, a lot of stories evolve and change dramatically. But uh, you mentioned uh, the war of Yankee aggression, uh, sometimes called Lincoln's War. You know, there has been and will be forever, I guess, a debate, although some thinks it's not debatable at this point, but mm -hmm. a debate as to what was the object, objective, what was Lincoln doing? And uh, a lot of historians now are using what I think is kind of the neutral description, Lincoln's war. Yeah. Well, it occurred to me that uh, somewhere in Lincoln's, uh, the vast record we have of his speeches, his statements, his correspondence, such, we might find some clues there. And uh, this will be, I think we'll probably run this in the uh, next newsletter from the Historic Society. But I'll share it here. The question being, what was the objective in Lincoln's war? A little background, let's remember the obvious. President Abraham Lincoln's remembered in history for determination, intelligence, integrity, and veracity. Mm -hmm. uh, he's dubbed by many as Honest Abe, yeah. suggesting that you can rely on what he said. He meant it. Uh, his word is respected and believed in history. and. Uh, so what does he tell us in his own words as to the motive or objective for the bloody conflict, bloodiest conflict in American history? And of course, since we were on, we the American people were on both sides. The numbers there are just staggering. The, the losses, the, the deaths, the injury. Uh, he wrote a letter to his advisor and friend Horace Greeley in August, August. 22nd, 1862. The actual document is preserved in the archives. Uh, who is Horace Greeley? Go West, young man. Go That's West. That's right. He's the one that gave us that phrase. Mm -hmm. He was a prominent publisher, founder of the New York Tribune, which in that period was the leading newspaper in the country. Also founded the New Yorker, a literary magazine uh, still around. But he was a founder of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. which really didn't emerge until in the 1850s as the Whig Party disappeared and some of the other political groups. Uh, so he was a founder of the Republican Party, and in 1816, he is the individual credited with getting the nomination for Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Uh, the, the phrase in the history book is, he secured the nomination of Abraham Lincoln for president. Mm -hmm. So you can see they were close. Yeah. And uh, he continued to be a very active advisor of the president. In the letter dated August 22nd, 1862 to Greeley, Lincoln said, I'm quoting exactly now, my paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union and is not either to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could do it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. Mm -hmm. If you want to check my uh, wording on that, check Bartlett's familiar quotation, 17th edition, printed in 2002. Uh, it's there, but it's in many other of the compilations of Lincoln's uh, writings and such. So according to Lincoln, uh, early in the war, August 1862, 
the slavery question was to him not the object. The object was to save the Union, to put the Union back together. But people back then, of course, communication was terrible during that particular era. And, and you know, people in the South, they were just pretty much protecting their own property and a, a, a large part of the... If, if you live in an area that was a major, had major battles in it, which we did here at Stones River, um, most of the people didn't have a clue what was going on as far as, as, as the war itself. So uh, many of them here lost their homes, uh, uh, were murdered. Uh, you, you think of, of, of the effect of what went on in that particular war. Uh, people have complicated that war much more than what it was. And you had a lot of northern soldiers. They weren't even from here. They had just got off of the boat and were drafted, you might say, or or a, a rich person would uh, sell uh, 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 their uh, chance as far as they were well, they were going to be in the war, but they they were able to buy themselves out of it and, and those yeah, type was, things. They were draftees who were who were buying others to yeah. go in their place. And, and we're seeing what's going on right now. But a lot and of, most of those people don't understand anything about that war. Yeah, a lot of the ones who uh, fought for the North in the what's called the Western Theater, which of course is Tennessee, yeah. uh, were, as you were suggesting, new arrivals in the United States. Uh, and they were attracted by the money. Yeah. And remember a couple of weeks ago, we were reading a, a diary kept by, or letters kept by a uh, Northern soldier who was on stationed here, mm -hmm. talking about Murfreesboro. But uh, it was clear that he was recruited by a paid recruiter uh, to fight Lincoln's war, to uh, reunite the, the United States, the Union, and was promised pretty good pay. Mm -hmm. And he and a bunch of his buddies up in Ohio joined at the same time, all recruited by this individual, uh, and they never got paid. Yeah. Uh, in every one of his letters, there's some reference to, well, they say we're going to get paid next month. Uh, and finally, after a year, he said, I don't think we're ever going to see any money. Uh, so that was their incentive for being there. And in all of the correspondence that we went through, uh, there's no reference whatsoever to the question of slavery. It was all the secession and reuniting, preserving the Union, such as that. So. Clearly, slavery was an underlying issue uh, and was one of several issues that motivated the secession, but it was the secession that kicked things off. And according to Lincoln's word, if we can believe what Abraham Lincoln told his closest advisor, uh, it was trying to put the Union together, hold the Union together, that prompted the military conflict. Yeah. And it basically, the South was one country, the North was the other, and uh, they were the the South felt like that it was being uh, unfairly treated as far as the economic values. 
of, of the North and the South. Well, what you're, what you're reminding us is there were other underlying issues. Yeah. Uh, some very, very strong. Uh, to have lost the, uh, the trade relationship between the agricultural part of the United States, mm -hmm. the South, the industrial part of the United States, the North, mm -hmm. you know, would have been a real handicap to the North. And of course, the South also had uh, markets in Europe overseas that they could have shifted to, and uh, nobody in the North wanted that to happen. So, I think a lot of historians feel like that all of the problems that we had in this country could have been negotiated before we ever got to the military part. And, and look how many people were, were uh, their homes, their farms, there are uh, so many people that died in that war. And of course, the, the, the medical part was terrible during that. People were, had their uh, limbs uh, amputated and those type things. And, and really, disease was the biggest killer of all. Well, we read uh, in the material we were using a couple of weeks ago how that particular soldier never got into combat and many of his buddies died here in Rutherford County mm -hmm. of disease. And in fact, they set up what I had never seen referenced before, a quote, convalescent camp mm -hmm. where they shifted all the uh, sick soldiers over to that. And uh, many of them died in the Murfreesboro convalescent camp. And uh, eventually they would be sent back up north. And if you remember, he ended up uh, carrying a sword and being a security guard at one of the uh, military hospitals up in Ohio. So in a sense, he was lucky. He survived the disease. He never was in combat. Yeah. But he spent a lot of time down here on occupation uh, in Murfreesboro. Uh, something else I've gotten recently, very interesting, and I, I can't give you the full story, but there was apparently, and I presume it was... Uh, a local woman, based on what we see, who uh, was uh, an aggressive scrapbooker, I guess that's a term, and uh, her scrapbook, best I can figure, 1910 to maybe mid-1920s period they cover. These came to me from Susan Daniel, who is our county uh, what do you call uh, someone who studies ancestries? Genealogist, our mm -hmm. county genealogist. I think she's been on with us once or twice. Did she have Jim in there? Uh, I did not see Jim lately. Uh-oh. Uh, but Judge Daniel yeah. is her husband, of course. Yeah. She's passing on to me a big set of pages, uh, uh, this scrapbook, which came to her, I think, from a predecessor, Ernie Johns. And we don't know what's happened to the originals, but she had uh, a whole set of uh, copies of it. I've got a couple of them with me there on a very large size. But uh, again, what can we learn about the period covered by these? First thing you learn is a little bit about the personality who's keeping the scrapbook. Mm -hmm. This lady obviously followed closely the social columns. Because she picks up all the, not all, but she picks up the significant weddings. She also followed closely the obituaries. And uh, you can also see that the uh, newspaper 
that she was clipping from gave a lot of attention to local news, local deaths, local births, things of that sort. And we're not talking about the Daily News Journal. There was no Daily News Journal back in 1910. Well, that's one good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably the leading paper, because there were several, uh, was the Home Journal. And by the 20s, clearly the Home Journal was the dominant paper uh, until it bought another paper and, and created the Daily News Journal. Uh, but one thing that caught my eye is apparently the newspaper in those days would publish in detail the complete financial report from the county. Uh, and we have one that has the detailed financial report down to every expenditure. Wow. Takes up about two-thirds of a, a large-sized newspaper uh, page. And uh, at that time, Mr. Rucker, B.M. Rucker, was chairman of the county court. And at the end of every quarter, apparently within a few days, uh, he would submit to the paper and they would, detail, they would print in full detail uh, all the expenditures of the county and all of the income of the county uh, during that period. Uh, so there were no closed meetings during that time? Uh, it didn't need. You, every, every citizen in the county had a list of every dollar that was spent, wow. every dollar that was received. Tax collections... Uh, in that three-month period, we're talking about the first three months of 1910. I see it. We'll be getting to it in a second. $25,000. Wow. Which means they would total about $100,000 in a year. Uh, well, no, they may have been collecting a lot more in that first quarter. It's the yeah. deadlines. Uh, but at a quick glance, the two most expensive activities in the county... Uh, today, I think we would almost automatically say, well, education and law enforcement. Yeah. And uh, neither one of those figures too prominently unless unless you uh, include uh, incarceration. Because the biggest... Not many in jail back then. Yeah, the, the biggest expenditure uh, category is the poor house. And that's what they call it here. Yeah. Later, the county farm, the poor house. That's that close to readable, wasn't it? At the time, well, uh, in 1910, it had settled down where it is, where the community care nursing home is now. Mm -hmm. Before that, yes, it was over in the readable Kittrell area. Yeah. Uh, but you just look at the first oh, dozen items. C.H. Burns hardware for poor house. Haynes and Company white peas for poor house. House and Butler, groceries for poor house. Sam Liquor, dry good and shoes for poor house. Lyle and Mason, Irish potatoes for poor house. It goes on, and I thought, well, they just put those first. But it, over and over, you see the poor house. The second, oh, this one is interesting, uh, three pauper coffins for the poor house. Mm. Uh, the next one you see is the workhouse. Same pattern. Mm -hmm. All the food, all the expenses, all the personnel. That's for the workhouse. They were earning their money, though. Yeah, they were. Uh, and those were the big items. Yeah. Financing the poorhouse and financing the workhouse. Uh, everything you can imagine is in here beyond that. 
but nothing comes even close to the, the volume of those two items in 1910. Got a caller on the line. Caller, welcome aboard with Greg Tucker. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, Mr. Jones and Mr. Tucker, I just want to tell you all, it's Michael Parker. I, I love you all's show. I'm actually sitting in my car waiting on my wife while she's waiting in the doctor's office. But you know what? This is one time been able to listen to you all show. I don't mind waiting. So I just want to tell you that. I love you all show, man. You're very kind, and I hope she's doing well. Thank you, Michael. Well, um... Everything, you know, in history, everything, all right, they say we need to take a break. So we'll be right back with Greg. It's a slick pig barbecue, spicy wings and Brunswick stew, everything made fresh for you at the slick pig barbecue. There's lean smoked turkey and chicken too Ribs so tender don't need to chew Well come on folks, I'm telling you It's a slick pig barbecue In 1920 East Main, you're gonna love the pig The Slick Pig Barbecue, a Murfreesboro tradition Why join a credit union? Credit unions offer the same services as banks But are not for profit Credit unions are owned by their members Not Wall Street investors Credit unions are among the highest-rated services ever evaluated by Consumer Reports. Need another reason to join a credit union? If you join Heritage South Community Credit Union now through June 30th, you could win $2,500. Sounds like a good reason to me. Learn more at HeritageSouth.org. Insured by NCUA. All right, guys, I want to encourage all of you to take care of your health. It's easier than you think at Low T Center. They're reinventing the doctor's visit, making it quick and easy to get all your levels checked, not just your testosterone levels. They offer a comprehensive health assessment so you know all the numbers important to your health. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, lack of motivation and drive, have you noticed weight gain and loss of muscle mass? These could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center will help determine the cause of your symptoms and will help get you back to feeling your best. It all starts with their quick and easy health assessment and is covered by most health insurance. Low T Center is concierge medicine exclusively for us men. And now they offer monitored self-inject at home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety. That includes a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. To schedule your health assessment, call 615-603-3542 or go to LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. This portion of the show brought to you by Mabco. How do you feel about two for three dollar Lay's or Cheetos? What about regular M&Ms for only a dollar? These are just a handful of the sweet deals you'll find right now at Mabco. You'll be surprised how they always have great deals for your everyday cravings. And don't forget to download their My Rewards mobile app to earn points toward items like ice-cold fountain drinks and even fuel. The app is available for both iPhones and Androids. Stop by and save at your local Mabco today. At Bud's Tire Pros, they care about those who live and work here because you're a big part of what makes this place great. This is Kay Mitchell at Bud's Tire. Come by and see us at Bud's Tire, 3600 East Main Street, or call 896-TIRE. They will be here through the good times and the uncertain times. For those who are out on the road, stop in today to see their full lineup of Michelin tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin has a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, they're essential, they're open, they're local. Visit them online at BudstireProsTN.com. 
Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Smyrna Elementary School opened again after being closed due to COVID-19. That news was confirmed on Friday after additional guidance was received from the Tennessee Department of Education about contact tracing and quarantining. James Evans, spokesperson of the school, said that it was determined that Smyrna Elementary can reopen and parents of students have been notified. Now only those who are symptomatic will remain quarantined. Christiana Middle School also opened again to in-person learners after COVID-19 setbacks. All Rutherford County schools are open for both distance learning and in-person learning. Rutherford County Fire and Rescue dispatched to a home on Bradyville Pike just before 9 o'clock Saturday night. While the initial report identified the house as being near the Rutherford and Cannon County line, firefighters couldn't find a blaze in the area. Dispatch was able to determine the fire was actually in Cannon County, so Cannon County was called and Rutherford County and Kittrell units served as backup. The only part of the abandoned home left was a fireplace and chimney. No injuries were reported. A Rutherford County student, the winner of a statewide competition aimed at teaching students about ratification of the 19th Amendment and Tennessee's important role in helping women gain the right to vote. State Senator Tim Rudd and State Senator Dawn White announced Sadie Call, a fourth grader at McFadden School of Excellence, is a winner of the Battle for the Ballot contest. The competition asked students across the state in grades K-12 through to submit projects reflecting historical aspects and the issues related to women's suffrage. Call's wedding entry was a poem for which she was awarded an Apple iPad. News on demand 24-7 from our website, WGNSRadio.com. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Uh, I need a weekend getaway. Does a COVID-19 crunch have you down? Maybe you know someone who needs a weekend getaway, a pick-me-up trip. WGNS will be giving five weekend getaways away to five lucky winners between now and August 28th. Go to WGNSRadio.com and look for the contest link. Click the link and tell us why your loved one and their significant other need a weekend getaway. We need this. We'll give them a weekend stay at any Red Roof Inn or Red Roof Plus. They pick their location, we give them the free weekend stay. Simple. Go to WGNSRadio.com, look for the contest link, follow the link, and nominate your loved one today. I need a weekend getaway. Good neighbor weather. We'll see if you spot showers and thunderstorms here this afternoon with partial sunshine developing a high in the upper 80s winds out of the southwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour i'm meteorologist jennifer Wojcicki on news radio wgns currently it's 73 premier six theater is open they're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for Premier Six Theater. They're now open. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back with Greg Tucker, our historian. And you know, one thing that's really special about this community, Greg, is that we respect each other. We care about each other, and we if it's a veteran, we want to make sure that they're heard. And we uh, have Bill Allen on in the morning, one of our World War II vets, and uh, we re- remember him. Uh, he was uh, at D-Day. Normandy, when we and when, Normandy survivor. Yes, when we invaded at that time, and he's his uh, 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 his ship was sunk, uh, and uh, 
he was very lucky. Uh, he, God blessed him, and 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 uh, he Bill knows that, and, and he's always carried his uh, self that way. And he's one of our heroes. And uh, you've got Frank Hayes coming on. A week from today, I'm bringing my good friend Frank Hayes. Yeah, who is a veteran of the uh, combat across France. Yeah. Actually, uh, he was still on the West Coast when he was injured, but he'll tell us about that. I've heard it before, but it's fascinating to hear it again. And with a little prodding, you can get him to remember details that uh, we haven't heard. So yeah. every time I get a chance to talk to him, I look forward to it. Well, we're going to have Ronnie Martin on uh, with Bill tomorrow. And uh, Ronnie wanted to come on because he, he had such great respect for Bill and he helped, uh, for whatever reason, the, the city of uh, Murfreesboro was going to cut some of the uh, um, things that were supposed to be paid to our retirees here in uh, Murfreesboro. And we're going to have them on tomorrow. And Ronnie and, and of course, the, the, the Murfreesboro Electric people have always been very, very close. And they all stood together when they heard about what was going to happen. Actually, it was almost uh, nobody knew about it until they got their uh, letters. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And I just a absolutely love Bill Allen and, and Ida Lee, his wife. They're just really, really special people. So they'll be on in the morning at 9. You, you still got some of those historical things that you've got. One of the ones, I don't know if it's if it's the one or not, that I had a little... Um, uh, it, I, I was enjoying some of the uh, sayings that we had from some very prominent people. Now, are you looking at that, or are we going to something you consider more interesting? <laughs> uh, as I said, you get a sense when you look at a scrapbook someone has kept of clippings, you know, yeah. clippings, you get a sense of their what interested on their personality. And uh, some of the things, I wonder why in the world would someone want to clip that? And, uh, but this lady apparently enjoyed uh, uh, crime reports. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of uh, information from around this part of the country, not just Rutherford County, on shootings and such. And uh, this one caught my eye. She put it up at the top right corner of her page that she pasted up. And the headline is, is 10 and a half years old and the mother of twins. Sounds like something you'd see in Believe It or Not, Ripley's Believe It or yeah. Not. But uh, Tisha Delaney, a Negro girl, 10 and a half years of age and an inmate of an orphanage, gave birth last night to twin boys, according to a birth certificate filed with the Board of Health in Jacksonville, Florida. Both of the children are healthy and will live. Uh, I have a problem believing that one. Yeah. That, that's, and here's one uh, in history. During the First World War, the Kaiser offered peace terms, but they included a penalty. He said that the United States would have to pay Germany $40 billion to make up for the damage we did in uh, the course of the war up to that point. Was there that much money back then? He seemed to think it was out there somewhere. These were his peace terms, that he, which uh, are credited directly to him. Other things, he wanted to get the coal fields of France, the Belgian coast, 
Lithuania and some islands in the uh, Caribbean, uh, not the Caribbean, the Mediterranean. Uh, apparently he was fairly confident at this point that uh, Germany was going to prevail in World War One. Bless his heart. It didn't work out that way. They, they never seemed to learn over there. Didn't work out that way. Yeah. You know, uh, that's one thing that's hardly ever discussed is what was the economic va uh, destruction value in Germany during those particular, the World War One, World War Two, Because I know that Hitler made an issue of it with some of the horrible things that he did as leading up to the war and after the war. And I, I, uh, I don't think we, I don't think I ever read anything in, in, in the history books or, or, or anything that pertains to that particular situation. I'm not sure why that in particular would be omitted, but, uh, well, we don't, most of us, the way we learned the World War II history, it began on December 7th, 1941. Mm -hmm. And of course, it had been going on for almost a decade. And that's what it included in Japan yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah, that uh, December 7th is what gave us the uh, opportunity to enter full scale into the war and the combat. Yeah. But, I mean, even locally, I've written recently about one of my heroes locally in the education field, Q.M. Smith, how he knew just from reading papers and such, keeping up with things, that uh, war was almost inevitable mm -hmm. as early as 1938, 39, because he came across information about the federal government funding civilian pilot training mm -hmm. and uh, brought one of the very first programs here and brought in the funding to build the airport and what have you. And uh, obviously what was going on was that uh, the, the Roosevelt administration was anticipating an air war and uh, was looking to get essentially a jump on uh, training young men to be pilots. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course there was very little private aviation then except for the stunt pilots and the airmail and such. Uh, and I'm personally familiar with it because my father was in the first group that uh, signed up for the CPT, Civilian Pilot Training. And another one who was in that same group, another one in the same group was uh, Julian Lytle, direct descendant of the Lytle uh, family. Mm -hmm. uh, his nickname was Bud because he was a junior. His father was also Julian Lytle. And interestingly enough, they were all together in 1940 uh, on the football team. Mm -hmm. And uh, the football game has been written up a number of times where uh, everybody on the team uh, ended up in the military. Uh, these three, uh, Billy Birch from Lebanon, Lytle and Tucker, uh, were all part of that civilian pilot training. Uh, QM had actually attempted, before taking the job here at uh, the university, or the college it was then, had tried to re-enlist. He was a veteran of World War I, mm -hmm. and he tried to re-enlist uh, three or four years before 
uh, the draft and all that was going, and he was turned down for age. And uh, but then he took another job, the college presidency out there at the State Teachers College, Murfreesboro. Uh, but he made his contribution to the war. He uh, got this civilian pilot training off the ground. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, it was not an academic program. It was not part of the college, but he put it on the college campus, used some of the college property to set up the airstrip. So, you know, clearly uh, there were people like QM, and that's what he went by. He never used his first name. It was Quentin, but he always was just QM. Oh, it was Quill. <laughs> that came along a little later. Uh, but he did his part uh, in World War II by anticipating the need and making uh, a program that would begin preparing. And uh, many of the graduates, if you call them graduates of the CPT, were decorated uh, for their uh, air combat activity. In fact, all three of the ones that uh, were in that first class were decorated in the South Pacific for the air war. You know, it, it's amazing when you think about it. Uh, Churchill was begging for help during that time. And we were smart enough to build our military uh, during that particular uh, gap, you might say, between the time uh, that uh, uh, the Japanese uh, bombed Pearl Harbor, because we pretty much were, um, we, we had our military growth growing in such a fast way. Uh, it, I, I think it, it fooled everybody how when America gets its head together, then when they start uh, uh, together on trying to work towards something as crucial as that war was, uh, we did uh, offer Churchill some help as far as equipment and things like that, but we were having ships that were being sunk that were sending uh, goods and, and, and maybe um, some equipment to uh, England and, and some of the other European countries during that particular time, yeah, but, but, but they made the right decision. Yeah, Germany was objecting uh, yeah. in the late 30s because it was obvious that the United States was supplying, yeah. helping, but obviously not in it. I think uh, politically, Roosevelt knew that he could not put us uh, heavy into the war in Europe uh, just because the people of the United States weren't ready for it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've read recently where Ford had already converted one of its plants to uh, building aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, this was before 1940, probably 39, 40 in there. Uh, so, you know, things were being positioned. We talk about the industrial miracle after Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. there was quite a bit of preparation before because the administration saw as inevitable that we would have to get involved in Europe again. Uh, to what extent we anticipated Japan, I don't know, I haven't read that, but uh, we obviously were anticipating as late, as early as 38, 37, 38, 39, that we would have to enter Europe again. And we were kind of unique since we were away from everything. And, and it wasn't easy as far as going across the Atlantic or the Pacific or, 
or whatever to come into our uh, country. And I never will forget, I think we've always been a country that people feared because we would stand up against any type of, of uh, uh, country, no matter what they were, how strong they were. And, and uh, you know, in today's world, you, you have people that are wanting to take our arms away from us. And, and I never will forget Khrushchev. He was asked the question, will you ever invade the United States? And he said, no. And they said, why? And he says, it's, a, it's an armed camp. We would be crazy to invade the United States. Of course, the first place they would land would probably be Chicago, so that would probably end it. So, you know. You mean they wouldn't survive? The no, they, 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 they wouldn't invite. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. It's a strange world we're living in right now, isn't it? It is to those of us who remember before. Uh, apparently, there are an awful lot of our colleagues, our, our citizens that uh, don't know and don't want to know what went before. Yeah. And uh, they will make the same mistakes that were made in the past. Yeah. But he did say, we will take you from the inside, basically, is what he was saying, which means that they will have people over here calling this uh, all of the, the things that are going on in, in Oregon and Washington. Well, they, uh, others that we, I guess, could call our competitors, rivals, yeah. enemies, are learning how to use our own system to yeah. our disadvantage. Uh, things that make us special and different, like the democratic vote. Uh, you know, they found, hey, you know, we can influence that in our favor, and we're going to. And so far, we don't seem to be able to respond to that. Did you ever think that we would just stand back and watch some of our cities burn and people not really realize what it means to have security? I, I, I think back, being in law enforcement all these years, and they were some of the best people I have ever worked with in my life. Uh, they're people with courage. They, they have a heart. They care about other people. And that is our first line of defense in this nation. And I'm, I'm seeing people that they just, um, they want to take away uh, the, the people who have the uh, a duty to make sure that we're safe. And, and in a country, we will always be safe. And it just really, I, I don't understand those kind of people. Well, we're almost out of time, so... Did you have anything in particular you wanted to say before we uh, ended today? In particular? Yeah. I know, I know you didn't eat any breakfast, and I, and I know that you, you, I can look in your face and tell you, you've missed a meal. <laughs> and, and I, think, I think you and I and why your you lovely wife, Mitriette. Why, why don't you take me to a nice restaurant and feed me? I'm going to. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to pay the bill today. You did such a great job this morning. I, I, I feel that I have to do it. You don't have to do that, but I'll appreciate it if you do. Yeah. That's an interesting line, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. That's pretty much the end of the show today. So remember, we've got Bill Allen on in the morning, one of our 
uh, heroes that lives right here in downtown Rutherford County. And one of our heroes to a lot of Murfreesboro electric people will be Ronnie Martin, a city councilman. And I have so many people that, that say how much they appreciate what he does. All right, guys, we'll see you in the morning. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSRadio.com. This portion of the show is brought to you by Mapco. How do you feel about two for three dollar Lays or Cheetos? Well, what about uh, regular M&Ms for just a dollar? Just a handful of the sweet deals you'll find right now at Mabco. You'll be surprised how they always have sweet deals and uh, all kinds of deals. You'll, they've got deals every day for those everyday cravings you might have. Don't forget to download the My Rewards mobile app, earn points toward items like ice-cold fountain drinks and even fuel. Available for both iPhones and Androids, be sure to stop by and save at your local Mapco today.